0: difference between fiction and journalism is that I can manipulate things a little bit and move characters or put them in a kind of tense situation and see what happens. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't,
1: um, but I bring all of that material back to the desk. Hello and welcome to The Right Question, a radio program and podcast featuring authors from the American West and beyond. The Right Question is supported in part by Humanities Montana and members of Montana Public Radio, and by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. I'm Lauren Korn, speaking with Cindy Banu, author of the award-winning short story collection, Seeking Fortune Elsewhere. In this tightly written collection, Cindy explores dislocation and dissonance, South Indian immigrants and their families reckon with the costs of leaving and staying. Seeking Fortune Elsewhere centers women specifically and asks how women might both claim and surrender power. How does one live with what is missing? Sindhya Banu's fiction has appeared in Granta, New England Review, Glimmer Train, and other publications. She is the recipient of an O. Henry Award, the Disquiet Prize, an Elizabeth George Foundation grant, and scholarships from the Breadloaf and Sewanee Writers Conferences. A longtime newspaper reporter, she has worked for The New York Times and The Washington Post. She is a graduate of the Mishner Center for Writers, the University of California Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism, and Carnegie Mellon University. She lives in Corvallis, Oregon, and teaches at Oregon State University. Cynthia, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to The Right Question. Thank you. It's so lovely to be here. Cynthia, you were or are um, and have been for a very long time a journalist. Uh, What drew you to then this short story form? Um, So
0: so I have been a a newspaper reporter for many years, and I think that I've always been interested since childhood in storytelling. And, And so journalism is where I went first. There were a couple things that that kind of led me towards fiction. One, I have always been interested in fiction. Um, It just didn't seem to me something that I could pursue. I didn't know how to start and I didn't know any writers. I didn't know how people became writers of fiction. So it wasn't something that that I had much exposure to. And I went to college and I studied computer science and was kind of following a different path. But but I did become a newspaper reporter and I loved it. And it and it took me across the country and around the world and it was and is, I still report, one of the greatest privileges of my life to be able to sit down with people whose lives are so different from mine and to hear their stories and to be able to share those stories. And I've been able to write for these wonderful newspapers and I've had great editors. So I've always I've always loved that, and I didn't leave journalism because I didn't like it, I think, that I reached a point where I started to see that there was a limit to the kind of reporting that I was doing. I would see someone for a short amount of time, I would get the story, and then I would publish the story, and then that would be kind of it. The newspaper reporter kind of moves on and writes very efficient efficient stories. Um, Years ago, I was an intern at the Washington Post. Um, It was one of my first Jobs as a as a reporter, and one of the first stories I was assigned to write was um, about a man who died, a disabled man who died in a public housing complex in Washington D.C. And so. What happened was he died and his family was never informed. And this was an error on the part of the city. The The housing complex didn't inform the family. The hospital didn't inform the family. The body was taken to the morgue and the family found out through a neighbor. So I wrote about this and the city apologized. And that was the end of that story. But when it was published, it was published inside, it was very small inside the paper, in the B section, um, the, the man's mother called me and she called me and she thanked me for writing the story. And then she invited me over for meatloaf, which was her son's <laughs> favorite meal. Yeah. And she wanted me to come over and meet her and, um, spend a little time with her and eat meatloaf. Um, I'm vegetarian first, but also I can't as a reporter do things like that. I, 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 I can't kind of cross that boundary and become someone's friend. Um, I also have other work to do. And so I thanked her and I said, you know, I'm sorry, I can't come. Um, and, And that was it. That was the end of that story. But I've never stopped thinking about that phone call. And I've never forgotten it, even as I've done so many other stories. And it's because... There's the story I wrote as a reporter and and there's the story that I didn't write and couldn't write which is what is it like to be a mother, you know, who makes meatloaf for for her son and then can never make it again and and what is it like to lose your son in this particular way that that is so painful. Um so so that that has always stayed with me and I saw that kind of repeating itself as I was a reporter over the course of the the years that I was working um, with newspapers. And, and I felt like maybe fiction might offer me the time to kind of stay with the character and and kind of tell these stories which would never make it into the newspaper. I also started writing fiction right around the time when I had children. And, and at that time, I kind of cut back on my reporting a little bit um, so I wasn't kind of out in the world in the same way but also I felt that I had stories to tell which hadn't been told. I I felt like if I didn't write these stories, that they wouldn't become part of the larger archive of stories that exist. And these characters are all fictional, but they kind of speak to the experiences of immigrants from South India in this country and their families back at home and i think so often the stories of minorities of women and immigrants of people from marginalized communities are are absent from from the larger record, from the public record, from history books. And fiction is one way to go back and partially correct that. And I felt that if I wrote these stories, then they would exist for my own children, but also they would be part of the archive. And and, and it's to the benefit of everyone if we kind of expand the archive of stories that we have.
1: So then in thinking about the ways in which you were able to or not able to write certain stories, certain um, stories about humanity, the people you were coming into contact with, or those stories that you couldn't write, when you think about genre and, and fiction being a vehicle in which you can expand this archive, fill in these missing pieces, is it then an issue of agency? you are able to choose the stories that you get to tell through fiction, whereas those stories might not present themselves to you or be assigned to you as a journalist?
0: I I think, you know, as a journalist, I've had stories assigned to me, and then I've also had the luxury of choosing what stories I want to spend my time on. But the focus in journalism is always the story, and it's not always the person or the character um, journalism is fundamentally a, a public service and its goal is to inform the public about what is happening in the world so that, you know, the public, so that we can make better decisions, so we can think about how to vote, how to, how, what to buy, what not to buy. So, so that is the purpose of journalism. And there is, there is artistry in that work but it's not art. And when I write fiction, I do have the luxury of, of spending as much time with the character as I want. I have the luxury of writing about, you know, how a mother makes meatloaf, if I like, and that won't get cut by the editor because it's not part of the primary story. Um, so it gives me a tremendous amount of flexibility and also an opportunity to be more playful because... Um, Again, you can have fun when you're writing a news story, but because of that primary purpose and goal, I feel that I can't... I am very interested when I'm working on a piece of fiction, a short story, and spending time with a character during very ordinary, mundane moments. People are cooking, or they're in their garden, or they're kind of just on a walk, and I feel that that is when a person really reveals themselves and you can kind of see who a person really is and
1: fiction allows me to do that i want to go to the very beginning of the book then to the epigraph you write or you you quote do you understand the sadness of geography and i think it's pretty easy to understand how sadness sort of informs many of these stories how would you describe the emotional tenor of the book because it's not solely sadness; it's it's really not. But I'd be curious to know how you would describe that tenor. It's not. It's not. It's not. Um, it's
0: not sadness alone. Um, these are all characters who have who have either left their homes and moved to the United States from from South India, or they are characters who have seen their families. Leave um, that. The epigraph, I think, speaks to um, a kind of longing that I think exists in in the hearts of each of these characters, even as they kind of lead um, lead regular lives. I mean, they have joys and sorrows, and successes and failures. Um, they have issues with their children and issues with their marriages but there is a kind of longing i think that 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 exists in each one of them that also kind of informs their decisions and and the way they are i don't know if every character thinks about it day to day but it but it is something that exists in their bodies and in their families and something that to some extent gets passed down, I think, even to the next generation who is living with the absence of family. You see these children who grow up in the United States away from their grandparents, away from their cousins and aunts and uncles, and they don't necessarily um, know the country that their parents have come from, but they know the absence of it, and I think that is felt. Um, The truth there is that that I also have that sort of sadness and longing in me. I, I think one of my stories is um, told from the point of view of, of a, a widow living in India whose daughter is away and granddaughter is away in the United States. And she um, has lost her husband, and she lives in a retirement community. Um, That is not something that I know. Um, I have never actually been to one of those retirement communities. I read about them as I was writing the story, and I knew that they were kind of emerging as a phenomenon in India. But I also um, didn't grow up with my grandparents close by, and I don't know what it's like to see cousins often or to play with them every summer and um, meet over the holidays. And that kind of emotion um, is is present in my stories, even as I have
1: to imagine other kind of facts of a person's life. I think the explicit sadness is expressed by many of the older characters in the book, the people who know their home country, uh, the characters who are familiar with those big family environments that their children or grandchildren uh, don't get to take part of because they are living in America rather than in South India. And I'm wondering what you would say or what you would have to say about age as you've written about it in this collection of stories, whether it's your general interest in writing about age or what age has to do with this particular longing with with diaspora? I, um, it's funny.
0: My agent was asking me that some time ago, why, why I, I often kind of take the perspective of, of someone much older. Um, she was just observing that. And I, um, I, I, there could be, there could be a few different reasons, but there is, there is a kind of reflective quality that a person, um, has earned after the course of many years. And um, I, I suppose that I'm interested in in that reflection. Sometimes it's wise and sometimes it's not. But, but they have had the, the uh, luxury of time and um, they, they've seen many things over the course of their life. And I think there's also a kind of honesty in that voice. And it's fun to write... Um, from the perspective of people younger who are middle-aged who are kind of stumbling through life and trying to figure it out. Um, But there is a kind of um, honesty in which the sort of Older characters in my stories are able to distill things Um, and and also a kind of honesty in the voice of a child, too. I do have I do sometimes really enjoy writing from from a child's perspective. Um, I think there's a great deal of wisdom on on both ends of
1: the spectrum. You mentioned a short story featuring this uh, retirement home. Could you read from that that first story? Sounds great. All right. Maliga Holmes Mr. Swaminathan
0: died as he was walking back to his flat from the veg dining hall after dinner. He was ahead of me on the path, and I saw him slow down. His gait changed from a fast stride to a slower, hunched walk. His left arm went limp. He lost his footing and crumpled to the ground. If I had not been swift, I imagine, he would have hit his head on the concrete. There would have been blood. But I caught up with him. Before he fell, I squatted to the ground and put my hands out, and his head fell directly into my open palms. Carefully, I slipped my hands out, set his head gently on the concrete, and sat at his side, talking to him. His left eye looked lower than his right. His left cheek sagged as if it might slide off. I held his hand until the ambulance arrived. It was the first time that I had held a man's hand since my husband died. The rectangular diamond on Mr. Swaminathan's gold ring was hard and cold in contrast to his warm skin. Before they loaded his body onto the gurney, he opened his eyes, looked at me, and said, Renuka. Then he squeezed my hand. Whether he was asking me to summon his wife, or whether he thought I was his wife, I cannot say. He died before he reached the hospital. He was 75 years old, the same age my husband would be if he were alive today. His death was our first. Hard to believe, since this is a place for old people, but Maliga Homes is a new facility, and the first residents, myself included, moved in just two years ago. The other day, I spoke to my daughter Kamala on the phone and told her how expertly the personnel handled the whole Swaminathan matter. They were prompt in calling for help, The area was cleared immediately and the ambulance rolled right onto the freshly trimmed landscaping, crushing a row of golden dewdrop shrubs that took a year to grow. I am so glad to hear that, Kamala said. Malika Homes is not a bad place. It is a rather nice place, in fact. Just a bit isolated for city people like me, coming from places like Chennai and Bangalore. The facility sits at the intersection of Thambur Road and NH181, just outside of Coimbatore Going to the outskirts of a mid-sized city gave the developers more space and allowed them to invest in luxuries that we all appreciate. We have stone tiles in the bathrooms, thermofoil cabinets, those wood laminate floors that are in style now, picturesque landscaping, and Honda inverter generators with eight hours of runtime for when the power goes out, which it does daily. I am lucky to be here, my Kamala likes to remind me. It is only the second place of its kind in South India, and the unit sold out quickly. Still, No amount of expensive stone or carefully worded praise from my daughter can change what Maliga Homes is, a place for those who have nowhere else to go. We are of the upper middle class here. We do not come from families who own hospitals or factories or vast tracts of land. We work for those people, worked for those people, Those people belong to a different cut entirely, and will never move here, no matter how beautifully our gardeners maintain the bougainvillea vines and the oleander shrubs. Those people will stay in their posh city flats with their many servants, with their children nearby. The offspring of the rich are rich, and they do
1: not seek their fortunes elsewhere. You're listening to a conversation with Cyndia Banu, author of Seeking Fortune Elsewhere. I'm Lauren Korn. This episode of The Right Question is supported by Fact and Fiction Books, an independent bookstore located in the heart of downtown Missoula, Montana, providing books for all ages and supporting the literary community in Montana and beyond. More information can be found at factandfictionbooks.com. How do you begin your stories?
0: Well, in most cases, I have a character, and I may also have a kind of question I want to explore. In the story that I read um, from Malika Holmes, there's this widow in this retirement community, and I knew that those retirement communities were becoming more common in India. And as a journalist, I saw a different story there also. One that kind of looked at the economics of building these communities. Um, You know, how much do they cost? Who is going to live there? What are the developers doing? So there was a kind of business story that, that I could have written. But I was interested in this very particular kind of loneliness that I felt that all these people living in this very nice place that has cooks and swimming pools and comfortable accommodations. Um, I wanted to know that that particular loneliness of having everything that you need and uh, not having the one thing that you want. Your children are far away um, and they're not coming back. So that I felt like I could explore through fiction. And so I had in my mind This character of a woman, I imagined her husband's hand on her hand, and that kind of small image repeats throughout the story. I knew also that for the widow that that was a memory, that her husband was not alive. Um, So I had that, and then I had this question that I wanted to explore, and that kind of came later. I had that image of that character, and then I kind of had this idea for the setting and the story, and... And then and then it's a matter of just staying present with the character in their life and it's almost like a reporting project for me where I'm just kind of taking notes and I don't have a sense for the whole story yet but I know I know what I'm trying to explore. I have a kind of starting point. When I'm writing, I'm kind of in it's as if I'm in the field as a reporter with a notebook, kind of writing down everything I can see and, and kind of watching as my characters have conversations. The difference between fiction and journalism is that I can manipulate things a little bit and move characters or put them in a kind of tense situation and see what happens. And sometimes that works and <laughs> sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I bring all of that material back to the desk as a reporter does, and then I try to look at it and piece together a story, and and that's the very, very first draft, and it's not, it's not always kind of fully formed, um, but it's starting to form, and and through revision, I kind of, I I I have a sense for this world, and my goal is to present the clearest version of it for the reader and so I start to see it like a constellation um it kind of slowly starts to emerge and then and then it's the writer's job I mean I, I I spend a lot of time trying to like dim certain parts of the story and brighten other parts of it and maybe go back to the fictional world so I can elongate a certain scene or a section um but but that's the kind of like process that I'm following. I often have a character and then a kind of question or setting starts to emerge. I don't think that it's the most efficient way to write a story. There are probably writers who have more efficient approaches from start to finish, but I do know that it's effective and that it works because I'm I'm doing it in a very honest way. I don't have um I don't have any kind of preconceived notions of where the character is going to end up um, emotionally or psychologically, even as I may be manipulating where they might end up physically or geographically. I mean, that changes, too, over the course of time and revisions.
1: Yeah. As you were talking and, and specifically speaking about this opening story of this retirement community it occurred to me that these retirement communities in India seem to be both an americanization of growing old and also a direct result of children moving away. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really
0: kind of astutely observed. The India as a country, I have seen it change and become more westernized and modern over the course of my lifetime the Indian economy opened up in the 1990s and suddenly there was a time when I went back and then and I suddenly saw you know pizza huts and McDonald's and um, American brands and multinational companies and the culture has changed and shifted over time and and um even as old certain old traditions remain, others have kind of inevitably been kind of washed away, and so and and the and along with that, you see a ch- the changing role of women as women have entered the workforce and earned the same salaries as as their spouses and as men. Um, so that that is is really of great interest to me. And you mentioned the story, Malika Homes, which is about a retirement community in India, but the story came out in a literary journal in Granta in 2020 during the pandemic. And it was so um, moving for me to hear from readers who have no connection to India, but, but who, because of the pandemic, we're experiencing that same kind of separation. These stories are about immigrants um, and their families that they've left behind. But these emotions are are very human ones, and it's very important to me for them to be human first and and for these stories to explore the human experience. But that was a moment when I, when I really, really felt that others others understood the emotion of the story, although the geographic distance was much different.
1: I think that's a really lovely note to end on. Cynthia, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. It's great to be here. That was Cynthia Banu, author of the short story collection Seeking Fortune Elsewhere, out now from Catapult. Look for more information about Cynthia at mtpr.org, where you can also subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You've been listening to The Right Question. This episode was produced by Chris Moyles and me. I'm your host, Lauren Korn. The artwork for The Right Question was designed by Molly Russell, and our music was written and recorded by John Floridus. Funding for The Right Question is provided by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montanans. Many thanks to Humanities Montana for supporting this program since 2008, and thank you for listening. The Right Question is a production of Montana Public Radio.